podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Do you like beer? Do you like free? How about, you guessed it, free beer. As a valued listener, we'd like to bestow upon you just that. Thanks to our good pals at beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight delicious and painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com slash whistle and cover just the postage of £4.95. And if that wasn't enough, as a listener of the Whistleblowers, you'll get two extra free beers. So that's 10 free beers. Beer 52 are pioneers. They traverse the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the greatest small batch breweries planet Earth has to offer. No surprise then that they're the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer 52 delivers a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Africa, California, New Zealand, and many more, but they haven't forgotten their roots. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The beauty of Beer 52 is that you can leave any time. The power is in your hands. As well as the best, most interesting beer money can buy, your case will include the award-winning craft beer magazine, Ferment, which explains the theme and individual beers you receive and a beery snack thrown in just to top it all off. Don't like dark beers? Choose the like plan. Easy. Just go to www.beer52.com slash whistle to get your case free. And don't forget right now, whistleblower listeners get extra free beers. Just the two of them. That's 10 for you. Enjoy. Welcome to the Whistleblowers. Uh, on today, we've got a specific theme in mind and, and in mind for that. Uh, two of the perhaps most learned music people that we've had on the show and our regular guests. Delighted to have uh, music manager Gareth Dobson on, who is from Wichita Records, but obviously very knowledgeable about, about football stuff as well. Uh, and, and John Bruin. Um, who is perhaps an oracle of uh, musical stories uh, that tie in nicely with football. So it was brilliant to have them both on. So hope you enjoy it. All right, so uh, our first thematic, whistleblowers, because, uh, well, well, virtually filling time, aren't we? Um, but luckily music's very close to the hearts of our two guests today. Uh, uh, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, Mr. Gareth Dobson. Hi, thanks for having me. I've had a busy schedule, but I've cleared it. <laughs> Thank you. And good to have you back, John Bruin. Thanks, Martin. I wasn't doing anything else, so here we are. <laughs> well, I, this is brilliant. You haven't got any excuse to get out of this with me anymore, so it's, it's brilliant. I feel like I've got you back into a corner, so I tried to pick it. Tried to pick a topic that would certainly uh, uh, be of interest or wet your whistles. Um, uh, and, and as such, um, music. So music and football... I, the reason I kind of half touched on it randomly in the Cricket World Cup last year, I did something with Glenn Hoddle and I just couldn't get it out of my head because he had like this sort of permatan. It looked like, you know, that top of the pops. It, it just looked like an aging rock star and it made me think of that sort of hark back to that performance on top of the pops, which just coincided with perhaps my youth. I suppose, John, we're, we're definitely in the same ballpark. Gareth, maybe a little bit younger. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I remember. Um... Glenn and Chris, Diamond Life. Uh, it being on top of the pops, actually. I remember watching it. And uh, my memory of it is that Chris Waddle seemed a bit less uh, willing to throw the moves and throw himself into the performance. Whereas I, I suppose Glenn, Glenn had a sort of, and, and I choose this word, uh, sort of evangelical sort of vibe to him <laughs> in that time about this performance of, 
which basically is a fairly plodding song. Now, the thing is, I don't know if Glenn has made another song, but Chris Waddle did. Have you ever seen that song he did with Basil Bolly? Oh, it's yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, and you know, uh, Chris Waddle. Uh, those of us that listen to the radio, uh, something of a well, what would be the word? A, a lugubrious character. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, but he's really going for it. Something happened to Chris Waddle in France. He came, he went over there and just totally went for it, and then came back and just came back as a as a dower Mackham again. It was just weird, isn't it? But, yeah, um, well, that was that was the thing that because they brought a second single, Glenn and Chris, and then but it was almost like that was it was called "It's Goodbye," right. and it was when they both I think one went to I don't know if it coincided with Chris well, going to Marseille, but it definitely coincided with Glenn going to Monaco. Yeah, I don't know if they but, both left at the same time. What what was around for a couple of years more, but yeah, that you know it was Glenn off to Monaco to 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 go where. Uh, I mean, he said so many times, doesn't he, about how we had to play for Arsene Wenger. So play, uh, you know, be, actually be granted freedom to play rather than the muck and nettles of the Canon First Division or whatever it was at that time. <laughs> That's class. Gareth, as a Tottenham fan, is this just be- slightly before your time or do you have any sort yeah, of... Yeah, uh... so a little bit. So I was, uh, my first year of supporting a full team was in 86 with Spurs. So... Uh, Waddle loomed large, but Huddle was very much something I had to uh, discover later on. But I, I remember at the time that Diamond Lights was, you know, something that was still in the sort of critical uh, critical air. I think that song stuck around for a little while because it was it was considered to be like a reasonable song, wasn't it? It, it did quite well in the charts. They yeah. were on top of the pops, and I, you know, I, th- it always appears on lots of clip shows because obviously footballers with big hair doing and I think they had one of those you remember those little microphones which were kind of the pencil type microphone <laughs> yes I to recall that they were being held and maybe this was not entirely true but yeah it, it stuck around for a while while that song and you know obviously I think it was around the same time there was that trend well it was a very long trend but you know squad football anthems around FA Cup finals and yeah you know, teams off to World Cups and European Championships. So I think at the time it wasn't seen as that kind of, you know, bizarre or strange so much as, well, that's what a famous footballer does. They release a pop song. Well, what what you have to remember is that uh, footballers earned good money, but they didn't earn amazing money. So there was still the chance uh, to, to have a nice little earner. Now, those those songs that they all released um, ahead of cup finals and um, I mean they sort of pretty much died off in the sort of mid to late nineties. Mm. Now that, that they they would go into what used to be known as the players' pool, in which players would get would would pool the money they made from promotional stuff they do ahead of a cup final, and then they'd share out the loot. And so it was a way to spin out money and the players to earn a bit of cash is doing one of those singles. But when players are earning 20 grand a week minimum, they don't need to embarrass themselves you know, in, in, in a recording studio. It's, Sorry, that's great knowledge. I had no idea of the player pool. That's brilliant. I yeah. had no idea. I had no idea of that either. I know that obviously 
when you do something collectively like that as a team or, you know, we go into some... Where did you see that, John? Is that just a common knowledge or did that come up with any specific song? Well, no, I mean, that's. I think that's always been... That's always been the... I mean, someone may, may correct me, but that was always the, the point. It was that players, I mean, some of them would... Uh, would flog off tickets and that, which uh, let's not name anybody for legal reasons. But um, it, it was it was seen as a, as a jamboree. Like you reach the cup final for footballers, uh, not just the, the prestige of playing at Wembley and so on. Uh, there was a few quid to be made, and this is what what used to happen. So uh, so yeah, the, the, the football song, even though it was a tradition. Uh, um, it it would be a nice little learner. So let's say the most famous one would be Anfield rap. Like it's got to be the most famous, hasn't it? I, mean, it's, yeah. um, I think that that's got like top three in the chart. So, um, and I think it was Craig Johnson actually co-wrote that. So, uh, and Derek B, I think, was the guy that wrote the rap. So um, there you go. That is that, that someone made a few quid out of that. There was always one player that fancied. There was always at least one player that fancied themselves in those things as well, which I always quite enjoyed. You know, they'd always do the in that sort of group singing environment. Particularly, like I think it was the only time Scottish players would ever get notoriety. But you'd always see if it was Frank McIverney or uh, um, Ali McCoist or that sort of that sort of guy would certainly either play the joker or take himself quite seriously as a singer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I remember th- there was a Man United one for '96. Uh, it's called "Move, Move, Move Like a Red Typhoon," uh, <laughs> and it's a sort of, sort of slightly techno-y. Um, it, it sounds a bit like uh, what was? Is it a bit like I like to move it? It's sort of that sort of thing, you know. Yes, that's true. Sort of slightly washy, synthy um, thing, and then. <laughs> Um, but in the video, you've, you've got a few of them, like Lee Sharp, obviously giving it big licks. Obviously, Pally and Brucey looking like dads, even though they're probably only about thirty-two at the time. Um, <laughs> and then Eric Cantona with, a, with his cap on backwards. And there's a bit where the song slows down to a sort of, you know, uh, hip hop beat, and he is trying to sort of do some hip hop moves, and that is pretty embarrassing, actually. As cool as the guy is or was. Um, yeah, unlucky Eric, that one didn't come off. I so, think we're going to have to revisit that one. Go on, Gareth. No, the, so talking about Manchester United, and because obviously they were so successful in the 90s and kept uh, arriving at the finals, I think they were almost the ones who single-handedly killed off the team song market because they ended up having to release one every year. And I, I remember, I think the last one they did or, of note was the Come On You Reds, which was yes. a reconditioned status quo song. And then kind of after that, you had that sort of next wave of footballers as sort of lifestyle celebrities. And, you know, the big one I remember was obviously uh, Andy Cole doing a cover of the Gap Band track, Outstanding. Uh, three. <laughs> Good knowledge. Well, because it, it was quite a big deal. So it got a big launch. It got a big PR. It didn't end up not charting, which was a bit of an embarrassment. Uh, it yeah. fell outside the top 40. But uh, I remember specifically the video because it was very R&B. It was like him driving around Manchester in a very flash car, being very kind of, you know, laid back and, and looking, you know, super, super cool. Uh, or in his head, certainly that was the case. And uh, it felt like that was the transition from, you know, the kind of 
the gang vocal, everyone on the stage looking a bit silly to footballers kind of having pretensions of uh, mm. dual careers. Well, Ian Wright, remember he had a pop career at a certain point before oh, right Was it do the right thing? It was, yeah. And it, it was a sort of, that was a, what, what, it was a bit Will Smith, wasn't it? Was his sort yeah. of, uh, that was the thing <laughs> he was going for. I mean, I mean, right, you know, is now he's in that he's a total national treasure these days and a great bloke. But there was a point in the 90s where he threw himself at just about every opportunity. Again, it goes down to the fact that he probably, as, as good money as he earned, uh, there was always a chance to, that he might need more. So game show host and uh, I think he had a chat show at one point. Uh, but yeah, the, the single, um, I remember reading uh, uh, an interview with him in the face about that and wow you know, incongruous yeah the next the next interview will be you know with the pet shop boys or something but you know it, it, was, <laughs> it was ian wright in the face it's sort of quite difficult to process when i'm thinking back on it well let's look at that i mean that that progression that you talk about players it's funny that that was the thing notoriety you would get famous in the team and then you would do something slightly outside of football almost to elevate your profile and then yeah. they would almost try and force you into some kind of presenter or tv role or something cool i, I always the weird thing is this is we're in the same ballpark as so 1990 was a watershed as well for it because you've got you know, um, what's the world in motion? So you've got world in motion, which is probably, you know, get, it's very hard to p- pick holes in that one. But the same year, I didn't realise it was the same year, I thought it was way before, was Gaz's Fog on the Tine, <laughs> which uh, he released. Um, and I was like, those songs couldn't be further apart in terms of market, cool, you know what I mean? No, but the, the, the Gaza song was, was a big hit. I, I, it was number one, but it was certainly in the top two or three and uh, had, had quite a summer. And that was uh, you know, that, that one I, I particularly remember. And like you said, that was kind of, you know, almost the antithesis of World in Motion, which was, you know, still probably the coolest sports song I can ever remember. Or certainly one that, you know, was successful to any great degree. Well, he's actually on World in Motion as well, which, you know, because he, uh, in Peter Hook's book, or one of Peter Hook's many books, uh, (laughs) uh, which I, 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 well, I assume a lawyer went through with a fine tooth comb, but in in, in that, he says that uh, Gaza arrived, and I think think the story is that he pretty much drank a bottle of champagne straight out before, uh, without further ado, as soon as he arrived. Um, but actually, I, I'm a fan of Fog on the Time by Gazza, but the follow-up single, Geordie Boys, uh, <laughs> recommend, recommend that to anyone. Uh, pretty much the same. Um, again, slightly more dancey, but it's sort of too, but not too unlimited. That was It was about that sort of time, but, you know, it basically being a Geordie Boy and then Gazza had that one dance, didn't he? That sort of, uh, which I think he copied, actually, off... Uh, remember Terry Butcher and Chris Waddle, that sort of yeah, disco. Yeah. That was Gaza's one move as well. He he inherited that. So, and the thing is, with Gaza at that time had a washboard stomach. So in the videos for these, uh, he would normally have his tracksuit and his tracksuit open to reveal that yeah he did have a wash washboard stomach because I think uh, the fact that Jimmy Greaves or whatever would would uh, uh, mock the fact that he might be a bit chubby or overweight. He was quite keen to show that off. Now, at this point, we're probably 
going deep into uh, the mine of Paul Gascoigne, so we should step away from that because we know things didn't work out that well. But again, like Ian Wright, it was one of those things where his agent and his agents were, was it Mel Steen and Len Lazarus? That's, I remember those two. Yes, that's and correct. They, yes. And they made sure that they wrung every last promotional bit of cash out of the Gaza phenomena, didn't they? Um, and yes, that didn't end that well. Thankfully, Gaza's still about, which is good news. Well, and I suppose the novelty, the Fog in the Tine one was more novelty because it was, it was still rooted in the fact that it's like a Lindisfarne cover, isn't it? It's got yeah. that, so it's north. it's got the northeast connections. It's, it was always going to sell X amount of copies within that fan group and and was probably seen as this like diversion. We talk about the jokey element. I mean, that was always his shtick uh, uh, off the pitch, certainly. Um, but the World in Motion one was like, I, I, as a Scotsman, incredibly jealous to see that as, a, as your national anthem, essentially, for that summer. Yeah, I mean, you, you ended up with Delamitri's Don't Come Home Too Soon, didn't you? Which... Uh, is that for '98 World Cup? Um, Depressingly prophetic from uh, Del. There. As, <laughs> as, as you, I mean, I'm a big Delamitri fan, but you know, there's nothing about. I mean, I think didn't we do a good one? I always used to remember fancy football would take the piss out of Ali McLeod, or was it um, yeah. Ali's Army? Uh, there was always that song, and it was just like fuck's sake. I mean, <laughs> just made Sc- Scottish football slightly. We, I mean, we've never done well at tournaments, and you know, uh, we've never done it well outside of tournaments. So it's, it's, um, yeah. I always feel like the songs were just kind of you're on a hiding to nothing, aren't you? The Del- yeah. the Gaza thing is 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 sort of he's quite an interesting figure in kind of you know, that that sort of whole nexus of '90s sort of celebrity and music and football because obviously he. You know, end up palling around with Chris Evans, and he got involved in the the you know Chris Evans is a you know big Channel Four TV show um, that you know introduced various yeah. Brit pop uh, luminaries to the world, and there was that kind of point around Euro '96 and and so forth where you know TGI Friday and um, and so forth where you know, music and football really did kind of align for the first time culturally obviously oasis yeah. and manchester city and you know and, and various things like that and it's uh and then you kind of had that point where you know football and brit pop especially they're famously uh stuart pierce and gareth southgate introduced the sex pistols on stage at uh, their big reunion show at crystal palace uh sports stadium and uh because i mean stuart pierce is a renowned uh you know big punk guy and used to go to, you know, all these shows in the 80s, and obviously it was probably very, very chuffed that John Lydon got to ask him to, you know, bring them on stage. But, yeah, there, there was that point where, you know, football was made cool almost because of the, the you know, Britpop and the music around it. That's amazing. I didn't know that about... Um, and Southgate was on there with him. I, I'm assuming this yeah. is the 96 connection. Yes. Yeah, I think that was the summer of 96. Yeah, I think it was... And I think it was ahead of, it wasn't, mm-hmm. I think it was ahead of the semi-final as well. Yeah, it might yeah. even have been the, the day after that Stuart Pearce scored the penalty against Spain. Um, Stuart Pearce, I've never known whether this story is true, but they always used to say that he, in one of the, the Stranglers live albums, you can see a sort of young Stuart Pearce in the mosh pit at the front. Uh you know, that's that's his era, Stuart Pearce. Yeah. I, I imagine having been in the 
vicinity of Stuart Pearce over the years in press rooms that he doesn't seem the type to have altered his music taste too much. And I would say he probably <laughs> still listens to the Stranglers, the Pistols, the Lurkers, that type of gear. Um, Subway Sect, all of those. Yeah, yeah. Well, Subway Sect seems a bit too arty for, for Stuart Pearce, but maybe... Yeah, maybe that's right. yeah. Yeah. Well, this that right? Okay. Well, this is we're go, we're going in a deep dive here. There's an element of me that I want to start like some sort of collaborative playlist so we can put all these in. Not that I can listen to the songs, that I just hear ten seconds of them and then it can take <laughs> me back to that moment and go right. Yeah, that's that's enough. Um, yeah. All right, like that. Lovely. All right, let's 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 put the eighties and early nineties to bed and come back. Well, actually, there's plenty more to talk about. Um, but we'll come back for the second half uh, and and talk talk some more. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Welcome back, guys. Uh, that was an interesting one for the first time. We finished up with Stuart Pearce. Uh, and Gareth Southgate in 96. So, Brett Popera, um, I, 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 I saw one of your notes, Gareth, about Paul McGregor, and I feel like I have to just be the, like, kind of the trampet for this one and just launch you off a little bit, because I played with him, obviously, at Argyle, and what, he was drums like... What's bass? Uh, what's that? So, you played with him, what, drums, bass? <laughs> I wish, mate, I have fucking talentless in that department. But, um... Uh, played up front, he played just off, he was playing right wing at the time and I was playing up front, but then he moved up front later on that season because he was clearly, he was he was our best player by a mile. But he was definitely in that phase between, and we'll have to get him on sometime because he's in the most one of the most entertaining footballers, but we would put on in the dressing room, like no, you would have to have balls of steel to go up in a new dressing room and just put your own CDs on and stuff. And I always remember he put on like, he put on like early Verve and, do you know what I mean? He'd put like yeah. gravity grave bl- blaring out of the, and it was just like a noise to some of these old pros, and they were just, you know, it, it didn't quite work. But because he had the personality to pull it off, I think he was in a band called Merck, I believe, or something around right. Nottingham. And he was in, because he, he kind of had a couple of these cuttings when I went, we used to go around his house. It was just like this big, massive like place in Plymouth. It was just like, had loads of random stuff in it, as you would expect. Um, but yeah, just oh, what a character. I mean, like, and that was off the back of back of Forest, wasn't it? He was under cloth there. Yeah, did, well, you, did, you, did you come across him in the music industry at all, Gareth? Uh, no, not not or, directly. Like but, retrospectively, I should say. But, Sorry. Yeah, so I was I was a little uh, I was this was at the height of my sort of enemy buying obsessiveness, and you know that someone managed to wrangle for him an actual live review of one of his shows in the NME, which around the time it was probably 
maybe 98, 99, perhaps, maybe a little bit later, but essentially, you know, that was, that was a big deal. That was a real thing. You know, that's where you read about, you know, the coolest bands to come up and, um, it was definitely done with a slightly sort of right tone of his footballer playing gig at, you know, Rock City first on, on a yep. Tuesday night or something, you know, very much the wet, windy stoke of, uh, of gigs. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, obviously some worked hard. And I, I seem to recall the review wasn't actually too damning. It was very much, yes, yeah, it's fine. And the other notable thing uh, was that they managed to fashion a band logo directly out of the badge of Nottingham Forest, which I always thought was, you know, a little close to those. And even my indie snobbery days, I'm like, well, they're just, they're just, you know, trying to make money off their football club's badge. That's so uncool. But uh, I, I, I also specifically remember he had that kind of, you know, the long blonde sort of locks. It was a very modish haircut as well. He was, he was yeah, clearly yeah. all in on the music thing. That was yeah, that was mad. That was a mad. Do you remember seeing him, uh, John? Well, I, I've seen him play actually. Yeah, um, and it must have been for Plymouth. Um, and yeah, but my memory of Paul McGregor is that. Uh, so this would be 99 to 2000 that season. That's right. Uh, you might even have been playing in the game, Martin. I think I probably uh, was. Yeah, well, I, I didn't know you at this point. Um, and um, uh, in fact, I was at the time I was I was working with a, with a friend of mine, uh, and we were doing um, commentary for Hull City uh, for their. It, this is pre-internet, but like you could, we recorded a video of each game, and if it was really good then they would try and flog the video of these games. Unfortunately, none of those games were good. Uh, but uh, my, my commentator, the guy I was working with, Richard Stead, uh, he, he turned around and said, uh, he said, I can't help noticing that uh, Paul McGregor, John, has got a girl's haircut there. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and he said, uh, Warren Joyce, uh, who's a, who was Hull City manager at the time, who actually ended up working at Manchester United as one of the coaches, uh, it said uh, Warren Joyce wouldn't be standing for any of that nonsense at Old City, which uh, Alan Partridge was around at that point. But uh, yeah, it was a, it, it was a point where he said that, and then there's, it, if you are unfortunate enough to own a VHS of that game, unlikely, uh, you, you, there's about two minutes of dead air as we just died laughing at him saying that. So uh, <laughs> that's my memory of Paul McGregor. Um, I have. It, it, it was, was, we've discussed this before. Was Steve McCall playing in that game? Is that right? Or, Steve or McCall that? would have been set. Yes, yeah, Steve McCall would have been playing at except switch um, legend midfielder. I'm pretty sure Gregor's scored in the game you're talking about as well. Um, yeah, because yeah. I remember we went away and we always seemed to pull one out against um, Hull, and he scored like some ridiculous cross come shot, and of course he wheeled away like he meant it, um, and it, it, yeah, I just I remember like some just odd trips. It might Booth Free Park, I think it was, but yeah, yes. um, which was I remember a total shell at the time. It, it, it you know it, obviously they replaced it where half the stadium was shut. Grim days, grim thought they felt grim then. Oh, uh, absolutely! Yeah. I remember yeah. one of the last things that I saw at Paul in the in the change room. So Sturrock came in, and Sturrock was quite obviously oppressive about everything that the lads did, any sort of creativity. But Gregor's always seemed to just be able to get away with it, also because Gregor's has made it clear to him that he wanted to leave. And as Gregor's was walking down the tunnel towards him, Gregor's was wearing, like, a little blue mod suit with, like, almost like a cravat sort of Vivian Westwood thing. He had this, like, yeah. moleskin jacket, red Cuban-heeled shoes, leather gloves, and he was wearing, like, those yellow 
sunglasses that Brad Pitt wears in Fight Club. And he's walking down the tunnel, and Paul, and Paul Starr just went to him and went, look at you. And Greg has just turned around to him and went, look at you. And then just like, <laughs> walked into the changing rooms, and you know, this kind of like, it was like something out of the mighty bush. It was fucking brilliant. And just, uh, I was like, wow, you can talk to Paul Starr like that. I was like, yeah, don't try it yourself, though. Didn't, never worked for me, unfortunately. But um, yeah. He, he certainly had the air of a, a rock star. Um, another one to bring up that I always found hilarious was um, Gareth Ainsworth. I, I've seen you made a note for him as well, Gareth. Yes. Did Have you ever come across his bands? Or I'm, I'm guessing we've all seen the kind of football-focused FA Cup run, cutaway section, VTs with Gareth Ainsworth band in the pub. Yeah, I didn't realize. So his, I, I found out when I was doing the the classic Wikipedia is that his mother was a was or is a professional singer. So obviously, it runs in the genes. And it, it actually, it, he's one of the ones where clearly he just loves singing and performing. And there's kind of no sort of airs or graces. There's clearly it was never planned to be a you know a, a rock star so much as you know I want to be in a, a band and do all the functions at, at Wickham and. Um, he, he always seems quite uh, quite endearing, actually. Someone who's very much in it for the uh, the love of being the singer. Yeah, absolutely. And I um, have you ever seen him, John at, uh, at Ainsworth? I mean, you've probably seen him on the Touchline a few times. Oh, I have. Yeah. No, I. I, I mean, obviously, um, the hair rather gave away his extracurricular activities, but <laughs> no, I, I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't too aware of his career. Um, if, if I may, actually, I was, I was thinking about this. Gareth, Gareth gave some pretty uh, full notes, but you know, the the, the link between um, rock and uh, football isn't just. It didn't just start in the nineties because I was looking at this. Uh, it's something that I wrote a few years ago. Uh, uh, Alan Kerbishley's older brother Bill, who Gareth may have heard of, uh, yes. was was the is, was the Who's manager. Correct. Uh, Amazing. Managed, uh, managed Robert Plant as well. Uh, I'm Jimmy Page as well. Um, and um, I, I enjoyed this that uh, Robert Plant would tour the United States when he went solo. Um, and um, the, the, a couple of times, uh, you know, fans or, uh, you know, back, backstage well wishers would ask where he'd got this rather forbidding motif that was on the backdrop of the stage um and then uh robert plant would have to tell them that actually that was the badge of his favorite football club wolverhampton wanderers so yes he he toured the states ahead of a wolves badge you know this is the second coming of robert plant so i do think that's amazing and he's i think is he club president now at wolves i think percy plant i, I think, think so he's, he's pretty devout isn't he yeah yeah but Midlands and Metal, um, I, I was saying oh, that wow. yeah. Andy Gray and Trevor Francis, um, who actually they were uh, top strikers for uh, Villa and Birmingham respectively, were big friends with Geezer Butler and Tony Iommi of Black Sabbath, which I always thought is absolutely <laughs> brilliant. So, yeah. That's class. I love yeah. the idea of that. Yeah, it, 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 it's the thought of Andy Gray at a Black Sabbath concert just is amazing, amazing to me. Along with yeah. all, his commentary as you went along would be absolutely brilliant. <laughs> what a riff, son, and all that. <laughs> Get in there, my son. 
There was a, was a great story about um, Gareth Ainsworth just coming back to him quickly because it was so weird. Because I was, I used to drive to, I was playing for Chesterfield and um, uh, the late great, um, God rest his soul, Kevin Austin, big centre half, absolutely no nonsense, brilliant geezer. He, we were in, and I was playing my music, and Kev was like, "Oh yeah, yeah." He goes, "Do you know what, Chris?" He goes, "I do you know you get on well. If you get on well with Gareth Ainsworth, I think I was playing." I can't remember quite what I was playing, but it came. It became quite apparent what his point was. He was like, oh, he, he goes, he's right into his rock music and this, that, the other. I don't know what I was listening to at the time. But I played, I think we were playing a Doors song. And he went, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, this one. He goes, this singer. He goes, Gareth went through a phase of, obviously, he'd read all the autobiographies and the biographies and the Danny Sugarman or whatever books about um, the Doors. Yeah. And um, they went to Ibiza. So they're all out in Ibiza. And obviously, there's a recurring theme in a lot of the books, like Jim never took his leather trousers off. So Gareth Ainsworth gets these leather trousers and is wearing them in Ibiza. And they're there for like a week. And he doesn't take them off. And he's going in the sea with them and everything. But obviously, in the books, the books, it's like, oh, um, Jim stank and it's like the 70s 60s and 70s they're like probably there's probably a lot of masking smells around you know I'm, the yes. thick stench of weed probably masking the, the sweaty leather but Kev Austin's like but Gareth Ainsworth was just he would walk around and he carried he carried like it was it was either a Polaroid or like a little picture of Jim Morrison on him at all times and uh, wore these leather trousers in the in the yeah. sea I mean I'd love to question Gareth Ainsworth on that because he um, Kev, Kev's not the kind of guy to um, speak hyperbolic about this sort of stuff, and and, put, and it was that song that triggered him. So uh, yeah, Gareth Ainsworth and his um, yeah his his do, kind do, of. Do you think quote. he tells his players that he is the Lizard King? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying to imagine how that would go down without a bail and Fenwick, you know, big bail. Just... <laughs> there we go. Um, a couple others I wanted to touch on. Obviously, being a Scotsman, I have a, like a, there was something. One of my most proud moments was when I went to Grimsby and someone wrote a profile of me in like a, a fanzine that said uh, Martin looks like one like one of the only players that would ever listen to Bell and Sebastian. And I took I wore that as like a badge of honour. I was like, this is great. Obviously, you you're kind of resonating with the fans and maybe you know would look like someone that would listen to music. But Pat Nevin always struck that chord with me. I was always like that guy. And he's always lauded as that, isn't he? Have you either of you ever seen him on a DJ set or cross paths with him? I have, I have actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and well, uh, I saw him at uh, Shacklewell Arms out in uh, in Hackney, um, and yeah, I mean, <laughs> I understand why he was DJing from CDs, which makes sense actually. Uh, because I think I think I think someone was telling me that night that he'd actually driven down from uh, I think he lives in Edinburgh or something like that. I've spoken to Pat Nevin a couple of times uh, on the phone. Uh, he drove down, DJed, and then turned around, and drove home, which uh, which was pretty impressive. Um, but yeah, is he, he? I mean, there was I remember the DJ set, some pretty standard fare, but then again, he would drop in a couple of like. Postcard singles from the early eighties. Um, you sort of Joseph K um, and uh, Orange Juice, that type of thing. Yeah, pretty. Yeah, you, yeah it was good. Uh, but I must confess, uh, you could have asked me 
uh, that evening what he played that night, and I didn't know because uh, I was refreshed. <laughs> I saw him. Uh, I met him at a uh, at an all day. Uh, which is uh, quite common in the indie music world, where essentially you know, between sort of ten and twelve bands will just play one after the other, short sets. And there's this very kind of niche indie label called Fortuna Pop, um, which is a very sort of revered label, lots of classic indie singles, and uh, in the sort of Bell and Sebastian type type mold. And he was there for the entire duration. Yeah, he came down because he loved all of these bands. And, you know, you're talking about a room with maybe 120 people in it. And, you know, he is the real deal. He's he absolutely, uh, you know, loves loves his indie music and his kind of sort of left field guitar stuff. And I think he's he's a huge uh, Cocteau Twins fan. That, that's one of his, uh, his, yes. his big loves. And he'll wax lyrical about them uh, quite often. I, I think famously... He managed to get out of a, a football game early and be subbed off to go see them play uh, across town in London that night. Uh, this is a story which I think he's told a few times and is quite a, quite good common knowledge. Yeah, yes. there's, a, there's a story he tells about going to see the Coxo Twins with Brian McClare. Um, <laughs> well, Brian McClare is 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 a uh, is is of that ilk too. Um, hmm. I, I saw him give a message to uh, well to, to a United fan who's suffering from coronavirus at the moment, and uh, he was wearing an, an indie T-shirt while, while he was doing it, which is very good. Um, but yeah, the, the story was that Pat Nevin and, and, and Brian McClare go to see the Coxo Twins at you know Royal Liverpool Royal Court or something like that, and um, he turns and. Pat, you know, Brian McClare is a famously implacable type of guy. He doesn't give much away. Uh, I've interviewed him once and, well, he was tough, but decent guy, decent guy. Uh, and and he, he turns around and, um, he, and, and Brian McClare is, you know, typically implacable uh, face. And he says to him, are you OK? And he just goes, I'm in fucking heaven. <laughs> <laughs> Because he loved the Cotso so much, so yeah, I love yeah, that. You've got, I think, you Glaswegians uh, have quite good music taste through my experience. Really into that that level of stuff, that sort of that generation of Glaswegians, certainly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I, I imagine. I'm trying to think again. We go back to Gary Pallister and Steve Bruce. What they might have made of some of Chucky's selections, but you know. Uh, Definitely a big Pogues fan as well, but that's probably a bit more to everyone's taste, I would have thought, if it's a big night out on the drink. But, you know. Speaking uh, of uh, brothers in arms, you know. Well, a bit of Luther Van Dross and steak and chips, that was pretty much the, the staple <laughs> diet, wasn't it, of your 80s footballer? And uh, speaking of Bell and Sebastian, there was, uh, I think... Uh, a tweet that I, I, I love dearly was one from Chavi uh, uh, Alonso, um, who uh, just posted out one day, listen to Ben and Sebastian. Just, just that. Just, and I, I think he uh, also, when he won the league with Real Madrid, he went and you know, did one of those things at football league again, sit in the stands afterwards when all the, the dust has cleared and you go and have a quite reflective moment and, he repeat the trick again then, you know, just the idea of this kind of, you know, football who's conquered the world is just kind of sitting in the Bernabeu listening to, you know, 
Judy Dreams of Horses or, or, or a song like that <laughs> is wonderful. And, um, and, 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 and also the Shackle Alarms that you mentioned, uh, uh, John, is, is, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an indie hotbed and uh, well, yeah, the promoter obviously likes to mix things up. And another uh, Spanish footballer, uh, Gaika Mendieta, uh, DJed there fairly recently. Um, and apparently yeah, it was... It was him and uh, and his friend, and you know, Geika was doing the uh, you know the song selection. I think his friend was queuing up the CDs, but again, you know, someone else very much into so you know, lots of Pixies and and uh, sort of a, you know '90s indie rock of that of that ilk. So there's that you know maybe, maybe that that's a, there's a very sort of a, you know alt left field Spanish footballer kind of a yeah. furrow we should plow next time. Well, I definitely come back to that, Jordan. I think you mentioned uh, was it was there a piece that you saw talking about the set list from, or that certainly a playlist about Mendieta? Yeah, yeah. Nick Miller from the um, the uh, Totally Football shows done a, an interview with him about his music. Uh, he seems a bit of an indie purist, um, and possibly unlike me, um, and not like Gareth actually. Uh, he still continued to to listen to um, quite a lot of uh, sort of new stuff that comes out. Um, unfortunately, mm. I'm at an age where I don't really embrace too many new stuff. <laughs> I have this I have this hang up about the production on new records and stuff like that, which is really nerdy and weird, but it's true. Um, John, yeah, I can confirm. I can confirm after sat, being sat in the pub with you many times talking about this stuff. Uh, uh, well, many in the group might glaze over uh, the, uh, the well, production well, of, that we're with. Well, it's well, certainly yeah. of interest to me. Yeah, particularly Miguel. Yeah. Um, yes. Um, <laughs> no, I. I don't know. I, I, there's something about the way records are made these days, and it, it, the most. I know that a few of them try to go back to analog techniques, but I think because a lot of them are produced to go out as um you know as streams and so on uh the, the production is too full there's not enough space in them uh so a record like uh gareth ains with favorite the doors uh is made on like a four track or eight track and it sounds and they they've had to fill the sound up but also there's still space in it and yet what you've got with a lot of these bands is that they obviously look at a, a computer graph and think, oh, we'll fill that in with something else. And I don't know, just just something about sound now. I'm just old. It's just, you know, it's like when your grandparents just couldn't uh, be in the same room as pop music. Well, that's pretty much the point I've got. Um, I'm only in my early 40s, but there you go. Um, <laughs> I still Gareth. buy music. I, still <laughs> buy music. I just don't buy much music made by, made in the last well 15 years but um that's so sorry 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 gareth i'm not doing your industry much good there am i <laughs> i was just gonna no, no, give him a chance to answer it's, it's perfectly fine yeah we 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 suck the blood of the young yeah your uh your your carcass is empty it's fine we want yes. to have a generation yeah well yeah. listen gents uh, i think we'll leave we'll leave it on this one but this is certainly not the last time we'll come back to music because I feel it's something that we're all very keen to talk about. Whether people are happy to listen to it is another thing. But at the same time, um, I think we covered a lot of ground there. So uh, thank you very much for that. Are you both? Are you guys both uh, currently in the work cycle still, John? You, are you are you're still doing some bits and bobs with the Guardian? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, actually, uh, my treat and actually going on talk spot later as well, uh, well into the night. But um, actually, right. my treat for this evening is. I'm going to watch the documentary uh, 
The Decline of Western Civilization Part 2, The Metal Years. You ever seen that? Um, no. Yes, Penelope, it's absolutely brilliant. Penelope Spheris is the director, uh, and it's of the sort of glam rock, cop rock era, late 80s, made, I think, in 89 in L.A., features Lemmy and Ozzy Osbourne, but the real stars are these sort of bands that are trying to make it on the sort of cock rock scene. Uh, it's hilarious. It's sort of, it's all those, in, in these times of international distress, I, I think, as I said last time I was on this show, uh, I found solace in sort of metal for its utter ludicrousness, the sort of fantasy element for it. it it's been a nice, warm comfort blanket for me. So I thought I'd watch that again because it is, as, as, as Gareth said, an absolutely brilliant watch. I love that. I love that. We'll look out for that. Gareth, uh, how, how is the, the world of music management from uh, from a, a position of isolation? Uh, it's kind of interesting. Uh, some artists uh, we work with are, are really excited and they're just staying at home making loads of music and, yeah, they want to put another track out really soon. And, yeah, obviously the internet is the kind of gateway to most music now, so it doesn't change too much. But then some other musicians are very much just like, eh, I'll just take a few months off so it, it, it kind of really varies but i've been um you know like everyone else been finding lots of entertainment uh, outlets and i've been going for a lot of old records and uh yeah you go and well i say you i mean me i go and buy and collect lots of vinyl and, and sometimes it just goes on the shelf and you never really actually go through it all and so i've been trying to spend my evenings only listening to records which is very indie and you know slightly ridiculous but it's also very fulfilling well i was going to just ask you there gareth you've uh, uh, you reminded me to probably bring up your twitter feed you have been focusing on like an album a day or certainly from a group which has thrown up some absolute gems certainly ones i've never heard of so uh, is that something that's going to be continue i think so actually yeah it's been magic just a friend of you know in, in a chat group just talk about music so someone went oh so we just go around nominating a different record every day and um yeah it's been brilliant you know people just throw up the most kind of weird and wonderful things some records that i've heard of some i haven't which are all brilliant and you know all my friends seem to have pretty good taste so i think we're going to keep it going we've already said we might just go until we just uh stop one day but maybe it will become a nice little uh thing for at least the next few months yeah, no, love that, love that. Well, people can check that out on your Twitter feed, which I will be uh, tagging at the start. Listen, gentlemen, great to have you on. Uh, hopefully, in the next couple of weeks, we'll do something similar. Beautiful. Take care. Thank you very much. Cheers, guys. Bye bye. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network. <laughs> 